of the stage on you this morning. Come over here just to mix it up a little bit. I love speaking at Gratis every time I can. Uh, I also know, you, you obviously know how much time I've had to prepare for this message. <laughs> That's like two hours maybe, if that. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, the thing I love about our church and uh, the sermons and things like that, is that it's not about us and our cleverness. It's about God's word and our faithfulness, right? I could spin a whole bunch of clever wordplay and come up with a bunch of clever things, but at the end of the day, it's not my story. This is God's story. And so, with permission, I would love to go through this passage together and discover it together. And the thing is, is that with Scripture, a long time ago, I guess it's a long time ago now, but uh, when I was in college, I learned this principle of how to study God's Word. I wanted to go deeper. I wanted to really be able to, even though I've grown up in church my whole life, my dad was a pastor, still is a pastor, um, I I was just wanting to go deeper in God's Word. And I came across this, this principle, and you've probably heard me say it before, or someone along the way say it, but there's three things when I look at Scripture, there's always this lens of three things. And the first thing is observation. And observation is exactly what it, it sounds like. It's what does the Bible say? What do the words on the paper say? Let's just speak it like it is. The second thing is called interpretation. Meaning, what does it actually mean? You know how sometimes you're reading Proverbs or you're in, not like Chronicles or anything, but you're in the New Testament and you read something and you go, huh? Anybody ever had a moment like that? Okay. Now, I like, you know I like feedback, okay? So if I ask a question, you feel free to respond and I'm not going to label you as Pentecostal, okay? Don't, don't worry about that. But the second thing is in interpretation. What does it mean? Or what are some possible meanings? Because sometimes you read something and it may mean multiple different things or you could interpret it differently. And the last thing is application. How can I apply this in my life? Has anybody thought through this whole Esther thing, like this is a great story, but God, what, how in the world can I take this and do something with it? Anybody thought that over the last few weeks? Like sometimes you see this person and they're like, they've got this amazing story and you're like, that's not me. Like, I don't have that story. I'm not a queen, you know. Uh, Although that's the new thing these days. They're like, girl's a queen. Okay, whatever. I mean, millennials, yeah, you know what I'm saying. So we're going to pick up in Esther 7. We're going to read the whole chapter of Esther 7. Don't freak out. It's only 10 verses. In fact, we're probably going to get out early today, if that's okay with you guys. Um, Let's start with verse 1. Actually, I'm going to read it on the screen because I've got a different translation on my paper. So now the king and Haman came to drink wine with Esther, the queen. And the king said to Esther on the second day, also as they drank their wine at the banquet, what is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted to you. What is your request? Even to half of the kingdom shall it be. Now, I'm picking this up. Oh, yes. Now, y'all, I'm not preaching the same sermon that dad preached last week, because for some of you, that's what he asked. 
but this is the next feast. I've already, there's been so many parties and feasts, I don't even know which one we're at at this point, right? Like, obviously, these Persian people, they knew how to party because they'd throw parties that were six months uh, for one of them. And this is the second party that Esther's had. And then the first one, he said, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she was like, no, I'm going to make you wait. And then here we are again, the next one. All right. Then Queen Esther replied, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me as my petition and my people as my request. Pause. Okay. So if this is your first time with us or maybe you've missed here and there or whatever, let me give you a quick recap. So Esther is in Persia. And she, the Jews, were in captivity inside Persia. Everything seemed to be going pretty good. Esther becomes queen of Persia. And during that time, her uh, parents died when she was very young. So the, the man that raised her, his name was Mordecai. Now, Mordecai rubbed this guy named Haman the wrong way. Um, and Haman had it out to just absolutely annihilate Mordecai and all his people. So, just kind of setting the stage here. Esther is a Jew, and Mordecai is a Jew, and Haman wanted to kill all the Jews. All right? We, we on the same page, everybody? If, if you're on the same page, say yeah. Okay, cool. I say yeah, not yes. Okay, anyway. For we have been sold, and my people, and I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Now, if we had only been sold as slaves, men and women, I would have remained silent. For the trouble would not be com- commensurate, that's a big word, with the annoyance to the king. Then King Azarus, also known as Xerxes, asked Queen Esther, who is he and where is he who would presume to do this, to do thus? Kind of weird to say it like that, but, you know, we'll keep going. Esther said, A foe and an enemy is this wicked Haman. Then Haman became terrified before the king and queen. Okay. So Esther came to the king the first time and said, I've got to tell you something. Now, you guys remember how big of a deal it was when she came to the king the first time? She came without being summoned which in the Persian Empire meant she should be killed unless the king... Does anybody remember? Point of the scepter, yeah. So I'm trying to think of, like, we don't have anything that's like that. Um, Maybe, like, crowning a knight or something, I don't know. But, like, he pointed the scepter. So apparently the king had this scepter that he, he always had. He would just point it at her, and she would live. So she lived. And even though she said, if I perish, I perish. And so here we are... This is the second party. This is the second feast that they have. She's like, all right, now I'm going to let you know what's going down. And Mordecai um, told her that she needed to go and do this. And so now they're at this place where she has, for such a time as this, a moment where the king is literally going to give her any request that she asks. Now, I'm going to pause a second and go back. What she said was, Right before uh, we get to what she asked Xerxes, she said, if it, we had only been slaves, I would have kept silent. 
Think about that for a second. Like, we live in a free world. How many of you would have stayed silent if you had been in captivity? Like, that's, a, that's an interesting thought, right? I don't want to just make this a story and, and us leave today going, oh, that was nice, Esther. That was really great. Nice story. Go, Jesus. Woohoo! Like, absorb that for a second. She, they would have been okay if it was just captivity, but now she's saying, I don't want my people to be annihilated. And has anybody noticed a theme with the Jews? That the world wants to annihilate the Jews? Anybody notice that theme? Like in the 1900s, 1940s, someone tried to annihilate the Jews? Could you imagine someone who, who, who would have come before authority and would have said, I, even in captivity, this would have been okay, but because we are going to be annihilated, I request this. So, here we go. Oh, go back one more slide, Matt. So, then Haman became terrified. Now, this is, this is one of my favorite lines in all of Esther. This guy has been pulling strings. He's been manipulating people. He's been creating, like, if you, last week we talked about a 50 cubics high. I think that's like 75 feet. He created a gallows for Mordecai to be hung from. And then Mordecai ends up getting the glory that Haman thought he was going to get. Okay, so this guy goes from being up the highest of highs to an oh, snap moment. The truth came out. He's terrified before the king and queen. Terrified. Like, I don't even think that word does justice enough. Okay, so the truth has come out. The king arose in his anger from drinking wine and went into the palace garden. But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther. For he saw that harm had been determined against him by the king, a.k.a. king's mad. Uh Uh-uh, you're not going to kill my queen. Keep going. Now, when the king returned from his palace garden into the place where they were drinking wine, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. Then the king said, Will he even assault the queen with me in this house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. So Haman was literally just trying to beg for his life. And the king was so upset that when he saw Haman close to Esther begging for his life, he thought that he was going to try to annihilate her, kill her in the king's presence. And then they went all taken on him and snacked a sack on his head and about to take him and uh, take him to the the gallows. Um, Let's keep reading. We'll, we'll, We'll unpack this in a minute. So, then Harbana, wouldn't you like that name, one of the eunuchs who was before the king said, Behold, indeed, the gallows standing at Haman's house, 50 cubits high, 75 feet, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who spoke good on behalf of the king. And the king said, Hang him on it. I mean, that's, that's man, how, I think dad got sick on purpose. This is, you know, this is some joyous news this morning. Like, ha-ha, joke's on him. 
So they hanged Haman at the gallows, which he had prepared for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. Let's go to the next two verses. Kind of a spoiler alert, chapter 8. Verse 1. There we go. On that day, King Xerxes gave the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, to Queen Esther, and Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had disclosed that he was what he was to her. He told, she told the king that he raised her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had given away from Haman, which, which he had taken away from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. We'll get to that verse next week, so we'll end on the verse 2. So think about this picture for a second. I want you to, to, to look at the big picture Let's see kind of like, so we've, we've made the observations. The observations in this passage is that Esther went before the king. The king said, Give, tell me whatever. She tells him that Haman wants to kill everyone. King gets upset. He comes back in. He thinks that Haman's going to kill her right then and there. They put a sack over his head. Now they're going to go hang him on the, the gallows that Haman created for Mordecai. So there's a lot of facts here, and I wanted to take just a few minutes to just process this together. In the first message that Dad spoke in Esther, he said that God is in control even when things don't make sense. It, could you imagine someone wanting to come and completely wipe out your whole entire race? Like, just the stress that that would cause... And then to see someone that you love disappear. So Mordecai sees Esther basically taken from her home because the king wanted to have a pretty woman. But then she rises to prominence. And through this whole process, Mordecai and Esther get to see God's providence and his control. Because for what Haman had meant for evil, God used for good. I'm trying to wrap my mind around what I would have done in those situations. Esther, when she became queen, she didn't just come up and say, kill Haman. She didn't do that. She could have done it. In fact, the king, the first time that the king said, tell me whatever you want, she still said no, and she waited. I wonder why she waited. I know, I, I, I have a pretty good idea why. Because God was orchestrating things in the back. The first time, if she would have told Haman is trying to kill my father, or, you know, my godfather, uh, I think that at that point, Haman had not created the gallows. Okay? So... Esther waited for God's time. And that's something that's really important. So when you see all these facts and you see all these things, she waited on God's timing. That is an important observation to make um, throughout this. Another thing is that God, his plan 
had not come to fruition throughout this process until all of these pieces came in place. So God knew what Haman was doing, don't you think? I mean, he knew that Haman was after Mordecai. And so I know God has a sense of humor, right? It, just the fact that Haman thinks that this is all about him and says, yeah, king, throw out your best stuff. Give me the best robe. Give me the best crown. Let me sit on your horse. It goes down this long list of, you know, A-list treatment. And then it's given to the man that he hates the most. Now, I'm not going to pretend that we don't have people that we have issues with, right? Nobody in here has issues with somebody. I saw some people looking around. Like, hopefully it's not the person that's sitting next to you. <laughs> um, how many times have we thought about, like, let's, let's just look at Haman for a minute. How many times have we tried to plan and plot and manipulate circumstances because we, there was somebody that rubbed us the wrong way? Or vice versa. What if you were Mordecai and you had this guy that was out to get you constantly would literally create a law just so that he could kill you legally? Like, that's going out of the way, y'all. What would your response be? The Bible doesn't show anything about Mordecai responding in anger or taking things into his own hands or saying, yo, Haman, bring it. He didn't ever do that. He trusted God. Now, I think that if Mordecai would have lost his life, God would have still had a plan with that. But the truth is, is no matter how much darkness tries, it can never stop the plan of God. Even if it doesn't turn out the way that you think. Like, in this story, yeah, this is positive. Like, this is a really positive story that Queen Esther was able to save. Well, it's not positive for Haman, but... Even though Esther was able to save all of her people because of the moment that God had given her. So I think of Haman. I think of how do I act that way in my life? When I try to set other people up for failure so that it can exalt me. That's basically what Haman was trying to do. It was all about, it's the Haman show. He'd have his own late night show. The Haman Show. But God has a way of humbling people that try to go against his plan. You notice that Mordecai didn't have to exalt himself. God did. But God did it in his timing. Imagine if Mordecai would have gotten a gift to celebrate saving the king's life a few chapters before this, at that moment, instantly got a gift. Here's, you know, treasure. Here's a plot of land. Here's authority. But that's not how God wanted it to be. Because God wanted, this is, you know, pardon my pun here, but God wanted Haman to hang himself. Literally. Haman's actions would not be able to change God's plan. God knew that Mordecai was going to help save the king's life. God knew that Haman was going to try to kill Mordecai and his people. 
Now, Haman did not know that Esther was a Jew. So some of the key principles and observations that I see from the whole book of Esther that we can, we can take and, and write down and, and hang to is this matter of truth and obedience. So like throughout this whole thing, the truth, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Like it's not written in Esther that like this is the truth will set you free, but you can see it time and time again in Esther's life that when the truth comes out, God reconciles what's been done that was wrong in a good way. Um, so my question that is because, like I said, trust me, I'm literally walking through this with you right now because, like I said, eight o'clock this morning, you're up. So this could be gas or it could be God. That's like one of my favorite sayings. So it may be from the Holy Spirit or it could just be that taco talking to me. The truth is, like, how can we apply the principles that we learn from the book of Esther to our life? Now, her people have been saved. The man who was trying to destroy her and her family, he has been dealt with. And, ironically, dealt with something that he created to kill her godfather, Mordecai. How can we take this huge, massive, epic story and apply it to our lives? Have you thought about that? Which character do you identify most with in this story? You like your Esther? Someone who's been given an opportunity to make a difference and to be able to speak on behalf of a group of people. Maybe it's at your work. Maybe you've been given, you know, a, a prominent position to where you know injustice is happening and you can step up and, and discuss into that. Even if it costs you your job, like, you know that this is the right thing to do. Or maybe you identify with Haman. You're on the wrong side of the team. And you're trying to attack and, and, and destroy and manipulate the circumstances, but no matter what, you know that you're on the wrong side of the team and you're going to lose. Like, and in our, in our case as Christians and following Jesus, that means that you would be an unbeliever. Like you're not a follower of Jesus. Everything that you're trying to do is all about you. Or even as a Christian, none of <laughs> trust me, after you become a Christian, pride does not go away, all right? So maybe you are a believer, and maybe you do struggle with pride, and it's still the Haman show. How can we recognize, like, God, you know what, I think, now that I'm thinking about this out loud, let's just go down this path. I think God gave Haman plenty of opportunities, not only to, like, tie his own knot, but I think he also gave him plenty of opportunities to repent. Think about it. Haman could have walked away at any point through this process and said, you know what, I'm not going to annihilate the Jews. I'm going to admit that I'm wrong and just move on. But he didn't. God many times gives us plenty of times to repent. 
But just because of our pride, we hang in way too long. That's actually a pretty good little principle there. I don't think that was gas. <laughs> Sometimes we get it in our minds. We create this world that we think is going to happen, and we even try to like line it all up. And it's still, no matter what, if it's not God's plan, if it's not his story, also known as history, it's not going to happen. Do you identify with Mordecai? Here you are. You've raised up this godly young woman. You release her, empty nesting, into the world. You counsel with her. You're doing all the right things, but no matter how much right you do, wrong still tries to attack you. Anybody, can anybody identify with that one? I'm always, you know, whether it's at work, you're always trying to do the right thing, but someone keeps attacking you. It's never good enough. How are you going to respond to that? Because according to this passage, the truth will set you free. You don't have to take it into your own hands. Well, our responsibility is to respond like Esther, which is when given the opportunity, and you know that you need to step into it, that you obey no matter what the consequence is. The Bible says it as for such a time as this. But I love these, these last two verses. Um, let's go to chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. And there's still more to the story, guys, just so you know. Probably have to kill. There we go. So Xerxes gave the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, to Queen Esther, and Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had disclosed who he was to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had given away, which he had taken away from Haman, and then gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. That means Mordecai got a raise. Mordecai's faithfulness, truthfulness, what happens in secret will come to light. The truth will come to light. So for Mordecai, his truth, the fact that he had been doing the right things, that he was faithful and he was righteous, came out and he got promoted. Haman, his truth, which was darkness, deceit, manipulation, uh, hatred, greed, pride, all these things came out. So to me, it's really hard to kind of identify with Esther because she's a queen, right? And she's like way up here. But to me, the real people and the story that's really resonating with me is are you a Haman or are you a Mordecai? Are you trying to live a life of obedience, a life of uh, being righteous, being held accountable, that the, in the light, when God shines a light on your life and the truth comes out, that you're in a place where God will say, yes, well done. You know what? Here's this opportunity. Step in it. Um, people think all the time that some people have like this. And trust me, some things happen and people rise to a place of prominence, Right? 
So, like, you'll see someone get famous overnight. Um, and people will be like, oh, man, I wish that, like, that would have happened to me. Why can't I just have, like, $50 million in my bank account from one day to the next day? Um, but, you know, most of the time we, we look at things like that and we judge it based upon that. But there's other times when people um, in the music scene – there's people who have been working so hard, like, oh, okay, I'm going to just get real, because obviously I haven't had time to plan examples, so I'm just going to go with the first one that came to my mind, which is Lady Gaga, so let's watch where this goes. Lady Gaga, before she broke out, had been an amazing, ja- accomplished jazz uh, musician and trained musician for quite some time, and people don't know that. They think she just, like, pfft, popped out of nowhere and just had this amazing voice and wore all these crazy outfits and now makes a lot of money. But the truth is that she put the time in and the truth came out and when she stepped into that moment she was ready. We have to do our due diligence behind the scenes so that when we can step into that moment we're ready. Esther's character was given down to her by Mordecai. Now obviously she still had to to uplive live up to that character. But Mordecai instilled the principles of character throughout her life. So when the time came, she stepped into it. If you think that you're mar- like getting married to someone, you're going to somehow become a better person, a better Christian, you in for a rude awakening. If you think that, you know, when you become a parent, you're going to be somehow become a better person or better Christian, you are definitely in a rude awakening. I mean, man, good grief. Kids make you almost want to... Mm, yeah, okay. If you think that becoming a grandparent or getting this job or if I could only, you know, make X amount of dollars for my family or if I could uh, do at fill in the blank that you're going to become a better person or have this... If I had more money, I would give more to the church. That's a good one. I hear this one. If, if I had a dollar for every lotto ticket that someone said that they went and tried to buy a lotto ticket, and if I gave one the money, I'd give money to the church. We would already have a building. Um, that was probably gas, not God. I don't know. We'll see. But think about it this way. If I had these things, then I would be this way. It doesn't work that way in God's kingdom. Esther had the character Esther put in the truth time and time and time again so that when the moment came, she was ready. Even if it cost her her life, she was ready. And so the principle that I see, one of the big principles I see from this is, are you ready? Are you putting in the truth? Are you studying diligently? Are you working on your character? When is that moment going to come? We don't know what the moment's going to be. If you would have told Esther before she went and became the queen that one day she was going to stand in front of the king and be able to save her entire people from annihilation, she would have told you, you're crazy. I'm not even a queen. But it's going through the daily character, the daily devotion to following and knowing our God, to to being more like him so that when that moment comes, we can just so effortlessly step into it. Rome wasn't built in a day, but it collapsed in a day. That's another thing, that your pride can easily 
collapse everything um, in your life. Just ask Haman. Okay, that's pretty much all I got. I almost wanted to say, anybody got any questions? But I don't think that that's how it works. Um, as you kind of like are processing this story, and we still have a few more weeks inside of this story, really think about the characters. Because honestly, at different points in my life, I can identify with each one of them. I can identify with Esther sometimes. Like I remember, you know, uh, when we were leaving the last church that we were at, uh, almost, well, actually it was eight, no, seven years ago. And I remember when Anna and I were talking about this and we were like, oh, should we go? Should we come? And it was like an Esther moment. We just stepped into it. And if I perish, I perish. And obviously we haven't perished because God has been faithful. And even when life doesn't make sense, God is still in control. Um, there's been times in my life where I felt like Haman, where I was every I was the Caleb show. And, you know, I, honestly, if I'm being completely transparent, the Caleb show was a daily struggle. Because I just, you know, am, can be very narcissistic with myself, and so I have to die to that daily um, if I'm not careful. Mordecai is totally different, you know. There have been many times in my life where I've had people... You know, I think in, in high school when I was on baseball team, I had all these character things that I had had in the school. And for some reason, the coach just picked on me. No matter what I did, I could not do anything right. And I would never get to play. Bad things were happening to me. I'm like, I don't know. I'm doing everything right. But why is all the thing wrong happening to me? And if I could just be real, that's just life. But the way that they responded in this story is how you can see and apply that in our lives. Mordecai never retaliated. Mordecai continued obeying God, being smart, being a man of character, so that when the light showed up, he would be blameless. So if you're that person this morning that just a bunch of bad stuff is just keeps happening to you and it keeps pounding on you, and you're like, God, I am doing everything right, so why is everything so wrong? Hold to the truth like Mordecai did. Know who you are. Know why you're doing it and continue in that place. Continue to be faithful. Continue to be a person of character. Because one day is going to come when the light is going to shine and there's going to be an opportunity for the truth to be there. And when the truth comes, it will truly set you free. And God... And I believe this. I'm not, this isn't some prosperity gospel or anything like that. But God elevated Mordecai to a place where he could oversee things. He was faithful in the day-to-day. He was faithful in the little. And later, he was in charge of and responsible for a lot. Wherever you are on that journey, whatever character you identify with, just take some thought about that this week. Ask yourself, who do I identify with in the story? What is God really saying to me? And more importantly, what am I going to do about it? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning and for your grace.